truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday here on the Steve Day Show, live and on demand on the Blaze. This throwback jersey week continues. I'm wearing the Desmond Howard Heisman Trophy Legends Collection from Michigan. Remember my, him? My favorite Wolverine. Big touchdown in the Super Packer Super Bowl. That's right. He was MVP of that Super Bowl. Correct. As a matter of fact, one of the another piece of Desmond Howard uh, memorabilia I have is uh, an autographed uh, uh, football from him because he ended his career with the Lions. But yeah, he's the rare special teamers uh, to be a MVP of a Super Bowl. So there you go. Yeah. Hello, Heisman. Is that him? That is him. One of the greatest calls in uh, the history of college football, maybe American sport in general, the late, great Keith Jackson. And don't we all miss him? It just, there's a lot of great announcers out there, but there's just. Oh, let me tell you. Oh, whoa, Nelly. There's only one Keith Jackson. 888-900-3393 is the number here to the blaze. You can let us know what you think about what we think at steve at stevedace.com. That's the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or the podcast, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We've got a packed show coming up today. A typical busy Tuesday. We've got fake news or not coming up at the bottom of the hour. And Todd and Aaron will give their uh, votes on is what we're watching fake news or not and why. We're also going to talk about a new book next hour that looks at uh, the intersection between faith and history. And, and just how much of this thing we call Western civilization, uh, American exceptionalism, really was birthed in faith. And we're going to talk about that uh, coming up in the next hour, as well as Pop Culture Tuesday. We're going to be answering a question uh, from one of our listeners uh, for Pop Culture Tuesday, where we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism each and every Tuesday on the show. All that and more coming your way. Now, here's something to, to, to know, though. I mean, most of us uh, cannot afford to donate to the political and social causes that we believe in. So our money is being tied up instead. You're putting food on the table. You're paying the bills, the mortgage, for example, uh, the utilities you need. And nowadays, that would include a mobile phone. Every month, you give money to the major carriers. Then they give your money to left-wing causes to promote abortion, sanctuary cities, oppressive gun laws, censorship, etc. Patriot Mobile wants to do something about that. Uh, It is the only phone company who does the opposite. They believe in the same America you and I do, and that's why thousands of Blaze listeners and viewers have already made the switch. And for a limited time, it just got a lot easier. Right now, you get a free, did you hear that right? You get a free month of service on all new lines with the offer code Blaze. A free month on all new lines with the offer code Blaze, with unlimited talk and text plans starting as low as $25, there's never been a better time to make the switch. All right, more than $2 million has been raised since the company's founding uh, for conservative causes. Imagine what we could all do if we joined that fight. So get a free month of service on your new line with the offer code Blaze at patriotmobile.com. That's patriotmobile.com. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by The Circus. For reasons only Allah knows, former White House counsel to the Nixon administration, John Dean, was asked to testify in front of a House panel yesterday in matters related to the Russia investigation. A December 30th, 2005 essay written by Mr. John Dean entitled George W. Bush as the new Richard Nixon both wiretapped illegally and impeachably. Without objection, 
Mr. Dean, how many American presidents have you accused of being Richard Nixon? <laughs> I actually wrote a book about Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney with the title Worse Than Watergate. So, 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 it, so it's, it's sort of become a... Did you make money on that book? It was a very successful book, How much yes. money did you make on it? I'm sorry, I don't have any idea. More than a million bucks? No. More than half a million bucks? <laughs> I said I don't have any idea. How much money do you make from CNN? Moving on, Pinterest, yes, Pinterest, the site where all kinds of people explore different do-it-yourself ideas that they'll start someday and never finish, is apparently censoring Christian-themed content. And they're the subject of a new Project Veritas expose. So we have Pinterest open right now. I'm going to type in the word Muslim. And what we see happen on the screen is it separates it into two words. Muslim fashion, Muslim quotes. And this is called autocomplete. Mm-hmm. So Pinterest appears to be giving you different options. I'll, I'll do it again for the, for the word uh, uh, Jewish. I'll type in the search, Jewish art, Jewish wedding, Jewish recipe. But then I type in the word Christian. Um, and something interesting happens. What is going on here? Christian is being blocked from autocomplete. So you're seeing the missing space right there. That means that People have cleverly made, made pins with the term Christian quotes as one word, but uh, normal pins with uh, Christian quotes as two words are being blocked from autocomplete. It's very interesting that even though Bible verses and Christian terms are typically labeled as brand unsafe, they're also being blocked from autocomplete. That typically means they're considered sensitive uh, beyond brand unsafe is in a severity level one. One of the other things uncovered by this Project Veritas expose is that Live Action, the pro-life organization, has been labeled pornography by Pinterest. And just this morning, inexplicably, Pinterest permanently suspended Live Action, saying their content is medically inaccurate information and conspiracies that lead to violence. Speaking of social media, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, along with 185 other CEOs, signed an open letter condemning the recent abortion bans and restrictions across the country. So that's uh, meaningful somehow. Google's CEO, you know, the people who own YouTube, says he wants the company to keep doing what they did last week to Stephen Crowder. Rank higher quality stuff better and really prevent uh, borderline content, content which doesn't exactly violate policies which need to be removed. Did you hear what he said there? He wants to, quote, really prevent borderline content content which doesn't exactly violate policies. So why have policies in the first place? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says she wants a raise. It may not be optics. It may not be great optics. It may not, like, look the best. And in terms of your opponents could use it as a political, exploited as a political issue. But in substance, you might as well be transparent about a cost of living increase. Iowa voters were in a focus group yesterday to talk about Hansi Joe. Something that has really bothered me about Joe Biden is the way that he has responded to the allegations by women. Some men in the group are turned off by the same issue. I didn't like his his idea that okay, it's okay to just go up to a woman and smell her hair and say, oh, it's, I mean, who, come on, who does it? Justin Amash has left the House Freedom Caucus after outrage from the group over his remarks on impeachment. New York Times headline, the world is a mess. We need fully automated luxury communism. And finally, an update on Steve Bannon, who is at an Italian monastery for some reason. 
Well, can you imagine a couple of years when we get organized, when we have conferences here, we have, you know, you have Salvini, you have, you have Marianne Le Pen, we're doing joint, you get all these great professors. And it's just- Are you going to teach anything? Yeah. My course is called Gameness. Gameness? Gameness. G-A-M-E-N-E-S-S. Gameness. If you Google it- What does it mean? It's a term from dogfighting. When you're in a dogfight, when you're a dogfight, you say, these dogs, you know, you say, that dog's got gameness. It's like when the dog's got his arm chewed off, he's still fighting. When did you come up with it? Because all the stories I read were saying that you were going to teach media art. No, no, God, no. So... No, that no. At one point, you must have you must no. have told someone that. Something. No, no, never did. All right. Well, it's it's got. I it's, mean, it's, game. It's, it's, it's got, it doesn't sound particularly academic. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> How long was that? About five minutes. Three and a half minutes of that was some of the dumbest. Yeah. I, I and given what we are daily exposed to, I I just you just think that because you have no gameness, Steve. Up your gameness. Raz Al Ghul has spoken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well played. <laughs> uh, that was well played. Um, you know, it'd be really weird if you had a stoplight at your kitchen table uh, telling you to stop eating. The good news is nature and your creator put one in your body. Uh, it's called OEA. It's a word that's an abbreviation for a long word I can't pronounce, but that's just the medical term for the signal that the gut is supposed to send the brain. When your metabolism is working the way it's supposed to, to say, hey, we're full down here, we can stop eating, move on now, let's get active, and uh, thanks for the time. Unfortunately, For too many of us, that signal just isn't as strong as it needs to be, particularly as we get older. That's why, or maybe one of the reasons why your metabolism ain't running the way that it's supposed to as well. This could be the missing link in your battle with the bulge, and that's where Riduzone comes in. All they want to do is put that OEA back in your body. There's only three ingredients. The overwhelming main ingredient is the OEA. Rice is like the second ingredient. It's not loaded with a whole bunch of chemicals. It's not a stimulant. No caffeine. It's just about putting the OEA back in your body and kickstarting that metabolism to work the way that it used to. If you want to try it now, go to the website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, for riduzone.com, and use my name, Steve, for a promo code, and they'll give you a special offer when you go to the website, riduzone.com. All right, on to Aaron's montage. We're going to talk about uh, Justin Amash parting ways with the Freedom Caucus today. Uh, In the overtime, with our congressional correspondent, uh, Nate Madden, here at The Blaze. So if you are a Blaze TV subscriber, look for that today uh, at blazetv.com slash dace. And if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, you don't want to miss that episode. You can get that and all the other exclusive subscriber content we do uh, with the promo code DACE as well there when you go to blazetv.com slash DACE. Let's get to the rest of what is in this, uh, this montage. I had no idea John Dean was still alive. Did you know this? I was pretty sure I knew he was still alive. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know what he I was mean, doing. Watergate was literally like 50 years ago. Is he related to Betty Midler? Uh, and Jimmy Dean, actually, makes really good sausage. And trust me, when it comes to John Dean, you don't want to see how the sausage is made, if you know what I I'm like saying. I like what you did there. You like to see what I did there? Okay. So let me say this about Matt Gates: Get off of issues. Like, here's the conservative Green New Deal stuff. Okay? No, there's not. There is no conservative Green New Deal. 
the the only conservative response to the Green New, New Deal is a is a is is a one digit reply from the hand appendage somewhere in the middle space. That's that's really the only. Can I get a second? Yes. Second. All, all in favor? Aye. 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 This isn't taken, it's to be taken seriously or no. But that line of questioning right there, just exposing that this is a scam. And there's a scrappy Alex P. Keaton quality to him. Right there, when he, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's much better at partisans, um, uh, machinations than he is policy, at least from what I've seen so far, even though his voting record is pretty good. But, um, what you saw there is there's a permanent industry. And, and now let me be fair as I can be. There is a permanent industry of partisans now that exist on both sides. And in recent years, there's, there's a permanent partisan class on the right now, or the what's left of America, that has arisen to form its own cottage industry to rival the one on the left. Right? Oh, so, yeah. so let's, pretend, let's not pretend like no one really has the high ground. Let me acknowledge that up front. Okay? But this, the, the precursor to all of this is what began getting created, and it really started in the post-Watergate era that John Dean was a part of. He essentially was the whistleblower of Watergate, for those of you that aren't old enough to remember and are so old that you no longer care. Um, what's, what's transpired in the post-Watergate era and from this time forward is there's, a, there's become a permanent cottage industry of people who either are still Republicans or, or were Republicans for five minutes once, and their only job is to provide content and, um, uh, and, and talking points for liberal and hot now, well, it used to be liberal media, and now it's hostile media, so that they can get away with saying, you know, even some Republicans are upset about this. And what you saw in that questioning from Matt Gates is, you know, he was doing this to George W. Bush. There is, this is nothing new under the sun. Here's, 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 what you, here's what the Democrats are telling you. They're admitting what, I, what, I, what we said on this show several weeks ago. We're going to go down this road because we need content. I, I, I drew this analogy in a sports podcast I do with a good friend of mine last night. And we were taping an episode and, you know, we talked about the pl- proliferation of, of networks around co- uh, college conferences. So the SEC has a network. The Big Ten was the first. And the ACC is launching one this fall. The Pac-12 has their own. And the Big 12 kind of created their own with ESPN's app. And, and one of the things that, we, that came up in our conversation is that the value and pl- proliferation of these networks. I mean, the Big Ten is, is handing checks to its members of at least $50 million a piece. That's after they've divided it from all the money they made from their network. And the point we made was no longer are these networks driving the, driving the, the exploits of these leagues. But these leagues are now um, there to provide content for the network. They're not, they're not leagues anymore. They're networks. They're platforms. You see what the point I'm trying to make? Yeah. Yep. Every, and, and, and that's why the Big Ten went to nine games, you know, and, and that's why you're watching, that's why you saw expansion and, and adding more, more teams is everybody wants to have their own league so they can put the most compelling content on their platform they can. This, is hap- this, is what you, this has happened now in politics. We don't have a House and we don't have a Senate. And this has been going on for a long time. 
I mean, my, my buddy Daniel Horowitz and I could sit here and swap stories with you about members of Congress we've had tell us that they couldn't advance a conservative issue or policy, and literally because, quote, that won't play on Fox, unquote. We've literally been told this. And, I mean, this goes back seven, eight, nine years. But it's more out in the open now. The reality is there is nothing else. So you have Fox, you have The Blaze, you have The Daily Wire, you have a handful of people with, with platforms that matter that are doing full multimedia content to the what's left of America, right? But then you have dozens upon dozens upon dozens upon dozens of everybody else doing content for what's left of, left, for the left America, for the 14.8% of the counties that voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And you can't do even though I'm skeptical that Mexico will follow through. Um, I, I live close to Missouri. We, you have to show me, okay? But you can't, you, can't, how, you can't deliver on all those dozens of other platforms over here. You can't deliver content on Trump got some concessions out of Mexico with his tariffs threat, right? Are you tuning into MSNBC to watch that? I'm not turning into it for anything. I, you're right. My, my fault. <laughs> Thank you. That's the correct answer. Suppose you were someone who frequented that channel. You were it, cornering me there. I was uncomfortable. Yeah, and you should have been. Thank you. Uh, that's an OSHA violation. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 but suppose you, suppose you were... But suppose. Let's, let's, do you, how many people do you suppose tune into MSNBC to hear a story whether and, and Trump is the Republican key figure now, but go back into any era. Well, it appears that a, a previous posture we criticized might have gotten at least some verbal concessions from Mexico. We had not previously. No. Think you're tuning in for that? No, no, no. no. Huffington, Huffington Post right now, I think, is still number one overall in terms of total traffic for political websites in the U.S. Do you think, Aaron, you're logging on to Huffington Post to hear? About 3.25% economic growth last quarter. Nope. No, you're not. And there's only so much of this content that the content manufacturers can manufacture on their own. Particularly the kind that they have to manufacture on their own comes with a cost. Blowback. Like child drag queens this week and things of that nature. Okay? And so you need organically created, well, you need contrived content that appears to be organically created. And so we're going to have some fake hearings. And we're not, we're not doing this for any other reason other than what else are they going to talk about? What else are they going to do? So this is wag the dog on steroids, no I doubt. think, is what that, you That was the reference. I, I used that exact reference the last time we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Go look at, go look at Mark Meadows, who runs the Cows Freedom Caucus for the Republicans. Go look at his Twitter feed. And count yourself how much of this, how much of what he is tweeting about, how uh, is, is the name, how much, how often the names uh, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok still show up. Uh, Strzok's the uh, partisan uh, FBI agent, and Lisa Page was his uh, uh, was his uh, gal pal, from what I recall, right? Yeah. Um, and he's still talking about them. And Mueller reports, and how much is about the border? How much is about deficits? So this is going on on both sides. That's why we're going to have an impeachment because there is nothing else they are willing to do. The Democrats cannot govern. They're outside of the mainstream of America on virtually every issue.
The Republicans will not govern because they hate their own base. Uh, you know, I, I laughed when I saw the story in the Washington Examiner over the weekend that the Koch brothers are going to campaign for Democrats in 2020. I'm, I'm just a, glad we finally made it official. That's Thank you. news, yeah. Yeah, th- thanks for making it official. I mean, they have been pro-abort, pro-rainbow jihad, uh, pro-open borders, but I just want less ocean, less regulations and taxes. I mean, they are they are the definition of progressive corporatists and have been all this time. So I'd, I'd rather have them actually working for Democrats. To me, I think we're far better off yes. if everybody that believes that way is all on one team. Mm. Then in, I might, you might actually get me to come back to the Republican Party if we actually get, get rid of all the people that, that all believe in that stuff. Put them all on one team then. It's the infiltration. It's, it, you, know, you guys used to hear me say, it's really hard for me to take on Nancy Pelosi when I got Mitch McConnell stabbing me in the back or John Boehner. You know? And so the Republicans will not govern. They're not serious about the border or any of those things. And they haven't been long before Trump. He'll just be their latest excuse. And so you have one party that cannot govern because it's outside of the mainstream. You have another party that will not govern because it hates the mainstream because its mainstream is K Street. And so they still have to do something. They have to come up with something. What are they going to, I mean, what's going to drive news cycles? What are we going to talk about? Well, this is wag the dog. We, we govern to produce media content now. That's what we do. Media content is not driven by the governing. The governing is done to produce the media content. It's the other way around. In many respects, what's really happened is it's, it's the mainstream media versus Fox News is what Republicans and Democrats used to be. That's really what has happened here. That's remember we said the so Rob French thing from the last couple of weeks wasn't a real debate. Could have been what could have been, but it, but it was really a proxy fight for, you know, hate Trump is orange man bad versus Cheeto Jesus saves. That's really what it devolved, and and as the and it goes on day after day after day, it, it continues to devolve more and more into that. Right. That's really what the same thing. The Republicans and Democrats really don't exist anymore. They're proxies for for their content providers that represent them. So it's really Fox News versus the mainstream liberal media, the leftist media. That's really what it is. That's really what is going on. And, you know, um, continuing to harp on having an abortion position that only 18% of the American people have isn't a real great content driver. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing CNN wasn't eager to let you know, hey, guys. Only 18% of the country has the same position as our, as our politicians do. I'm, I'm guessing Don Lemon didn't feature that last night. No? Of course, I wouldn't know. Because I would be like the 99.7% of Americans who don't watch it. All right, so that's not, that dog ain't going to hunt. So what do you need? Let's bring John Dean. I mean, it also tells you we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I mean, they're, 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 here's, the, here's the thing. Either impeach or leave us the hell alone. Just, just you know, impeach or get off the pot. Just, just leave us the hell alone then. No one watches this. No one cares. And see, that's why their ratings are dwindling for all of these mainstream media outlets at the same time. Because they're, they're in a corner right now where their own base is pissed that they're not going full bore with impeachment. 
And so they're tired of the pussyfooting around. And then the average mainstream consumer just thinks this is just a partisan corrupt waste of time and doesn't care. So you're producing, you're largely producing content that is looked at as milk toast to the people you're trying to continue to, to keep radicalized and mobilized. And it's considered anathema to the, to, the, to, the, to the larger audience in play. Other than that, though, these are, these are really doing a lot to grab the attention of the American people. And so that's all that was yesterday. We got to give MSNBC something to talk about. Got to give CNN something to talk about. Got to give Huffington Post something to write about. This is their version of, we, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to play on, on MSNBC tonight. That, that's really, tell me I'm wrong. I know it's a cynical response. Doesn't mean, though, that it's not true. Well, especially, so you, you roll tape long enough, you, 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 you get the moments that you seek to capitalize uh, if you are a progressive, the ones you beat like a dead horse indefinitely, where you can shout bigot, hater, whatever. And so that's a lot of this is just 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 keep rolling tape. And they, they count on the fact that, yeah, it, it you know, yeah, well, let's roll John Dean out of the bullpen and, mm -hmm. you know, give us some serviceable innings and get us to the deep innings. I mean, that's yeah. really that's what we're just trying to keep. Was it this going. their opener? John Dean was the opener. You throw him out there for an inning like your Milwaukee Brewers did last year with Craig Council. Is that what you're saying? Uh, something like that. I mean, they they do their, their sense of the long game and just, uh, I mean, again, it's a version of can't stop, won't stop. This one's not a particularly exciting one, but they, they, they will be shameless in terms of how they continue to perpetuate a narrative up and in until they get the flashpoint they need. And they know they need. We we're talking about the election and the polling. And they doesn't that that's their end game, and they they will perpetuate this as long as it's possible. Which is why what you said either either impeach now or leave us alone. I mean, <laughs> no, no. I mean, at this point, what's seriously what's stopping them from you know inviting Stormy Daniels to testify for the Mueller investigation, even though she has nothing to do with that? It would what's, create a lot more buzz. Yeah. What's what's stopping them from from doing that? It would, it, like you said, it would create a lot more buzz. Probably get uh, you know a little bit more uh, run out of that than you did John Dean. She's one of the reasons Michael Cohen's going to prison. Yeah. So why not just why not just do that? Uh, just to say that you just to say that you did. You know. Don't think we won't get there. Yeah. By the well, way. Well, and I'll, and you do that stuff to bait. You know, and you want to perpetuate the notion that we have a crazy, tyrannical madman in the White House. Yeah. And while he's certainly not tyrannical, he does like to take the bait and go crazy every once in a while. So, it, you know, it's not like it's not an utterly insane play by them. It's the only play they have yeah. because they can't talk issues. It's the it's the only play that they have. Orange Man Bad is the only play they have. They They, they can't talk issues. And so unless the economy tanks... This is going to continue and go on and on and on and on because it beats talking about Ralph Northam. All right. Um, I want to congratulate, and I think all of us need to do this. I want to congratulate Lila Rose and live action. Because what, what the death cult told you today through Pinterest of all things. And, you know, understand cults love to defile innocence. The devil loves to defile innocence. 
the fact that something is innocuous and seemingly innocent as Pinterest has gone full pentagram. Arts, crafts, killing babies. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, that, that, that's right out of the bowels of hell playbook to corrupt something as simple and innocent as that. And what, what they told you, what the death cult told you today is if you're wondering, you know, who do I give my money to? Who do I volunteer for? Who do I follow? Who's in this for big baby and who's in this to, to save babies? Don't, don't read every organization's own propaganda. Watch the way the enemy reacts to them. Molech will tell you. What Molech told you today is if, if Pinterest is where you've got to go all Kaiser curious, Caesar is Lord, then that tells you right now, Molech's mouth is bloodied. Molech is bleeding. They told, he, you, you found out today, the death cult told you today, that's an organization that is not firing spitballs at hell, but is hitting them where it hurts. So congratulations to Lila Rose and live action. May their house increase and may others who claim the same belief system similarly offend all of the right people. Fake News or Not is next. Real Estate Agents I Trust was a company started by uh, Glenn Beck and some of his associates a few years ago because they were tired of no urgency, no return phone calls, no real marketing. Uh, the answer was always, let's have another open house. So, uh, you know, agents who talked a good game, but then didn't deliver the results uh, like they promised. And so uh, they created Real Estate Agents I Trust to find agents who checked three boxes. First, do they have a, a proven track record of being successful uh, in real estate? Number two, um, do they understand that data does matter, but you got to look beyond the algorithm to the outliers and don't spare the details because those can also have an impact on market forces as well. And then thirdly, is there a, is there a rapport there? Are they personable? Because this is a very relational process, very stressful process. If you don't have a good relationship and rapport with your agent, the odds uh, this is going to turn out to be successful go down even more. So if you're looking for an agent that checks those three boxes, you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust. And you can find them by going to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. And now we begin, fake news or not, and uh, we go back to our typical format this week where we don't really take or, or pay much mind to what um, uh, the latest examples of Al Jazeera America and socialism today uh, are saying in much of what we call mainstream liberal leftist, but I call opposition media. Instead, we want to know, uh, are the figures that are supposed to be representing what's left of America, are the media outlets that are supposed to be representing what's left of America, are they telling what's left of America, fake news or not? And we begin with this clip. What, what's he running on exactly? I mean, what, what would be the point of, he's against Trump, of course, all Democrats are, but what's the kind of unique point of a Biden candidacy? I, I haven't heard it. Yeah, I, I think with Joe Biden's, the premise of his campaign is not just um, restoring 
a sense of that the middle class will be heard, um, that we will be shoring up health care rather than trying to deny it to tens of millions of people. I mean, you kind of go down issue by issue, and it's not just we don't want Donald Trump anymore. It's think about all the positions that Donald Trump's taken on the environment, on um, economic equality, on racial equality, where Donald Trump is Oh, Joe Biden's please. quite different. Well, you can say, oh, please. No, but the fact I mean, is, most no, of the no, polls... Biden, no, no, no. Biden is, expl- is, is for explicit government-sponsored racism for the Jim Crow system that we currently have. He's not for racial equality. He's for racial inequality, I mean, by definition. But, but hold on. Leaving that aside, I mean, is there something... Is the Democratic Party kind of crying out for someone, since this is a party deeply interested in demographics, crying out for someone who... who you know, is going to be a 78-year-old white man, to be totally blunt. I thought they didn't like older white men. Right. I think what the Democratic Party, what the voters are crying out for, incidentally, I think his success so far speaks to the fact that the voters in the Democratic base are not as far left as caricatured. I think what they want is stability. They, they, they want something different from what we're seeing in the news day to day to day. This sense of chaos and uncertainty that even the, he had the business community last week rising up and saying, you know what, you, you, Mr. President, may have kind of pressed your luck too far with this talk about tariffs in Mexico. They want an end to that. Uh, Calif- <laughs> ca- car makers. Yeah, the libertarians hate no, that. <laughs> car makers, car That's makers. That's the wants- greatest thing he ever did. Automakers want stability. I mean, you go across the board, uh-huh. and even now the business community is saying, yeah, we want something different. Okay, so Biden is an answer as a candidate to people who want you to know the Democrats are not that far left, as they are often caricatured. That's according to a former Clinton advisor speaking to Tucker Carlson the other night on Fox News. Fake news or not, Todd? Well, it depends on perspective. I think there's a, a lot of true news there in terms of, I, I think the normal propaganda that we get uh and i think tucker was alluding uh, to that based on like what's biden's relevance and all this but I, I think that guy actually believed a lot of what he was saying i mean he's a former clinton advisor i i think uh he his I, i've t- never heard of him yeah though, I, so I i think I, his time is past what that means i you know I, I don't know was he a i don't know what what clinton advisor that means but you know, the, uh, Carville, Bagala, Stephanopoulos, you know, all of those major names, uh, Reich, you know, mm-hmm. or Reich, actually, is how he preferred his name to be spelled, so it didn't sound like he was a Nazi, or it's pronounced. I mean, those are names, Dick Morris, they're still around today. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name but, Richard Goodstein, do you? No, but to, okay. to the ant- in terms of answering the question, you know, what, in this party and what it believes now, why is Joe Biden relevant he answered it like a man who's not sure himself but just doesn't want to give up on that and still wants it to be so i'm going to give it mostly true along those lines aaron what's your grade uh maybe last week at this time i would have been with todd now that we're at this at at this point of time and uh joe biden after decades of yeah i'm supporting the hyde amendment i can't support the hyde amendment anymore uh, this is laughably fake news, just mm. completely laughably fake news. I think maybe at the beginning of the campaign that would have even been true. They might, might have even thought that this was what they were doing to present the Democrat Party as not going as far left as the, the dude said has been caricatured. But now that's just that's laughable, in my opinion. All right. Next clip. People haven't used tariffs, but tariffs are a beautiful thing when you're the piggy bank. When you have all the money, everyone is trying to get our money. 
Trump says tariffs are a beautiful thing when you are the piggy bank, meaning uh, the U.S. taxpayer. Aaron, what say you? Fake news or not? Um, again, that's that's fake news. I I don't I don't understand again the thinking behind tariffs here. That there, I, I, again, my estimate. I'll reset what I believe about tariffs. They should only be used punitively. Uh, to inflict maximum damage on a foreign uh, maker of uh, of goods, not on raw materials, which is what we're doing with in a lot of cases with China and I think Australia even with with aluminum. Um, I don't. I really don't understand what his thinking here is, and I don't think it, for I think for you know the last year and a half, two years, it really hasn't been presented what the end game here is with tariffs. We're just um, basically what we've been told is. Uh, China has been getting unfair deals, so now we're going to slap some tariffs and see what happens. I, I don't understand the thinking there. So is it a beautiful thing? I'm going to call it fake news because there's just no vision being cast here uh, for what the tariffs are exactly supposed to accomplish. So let me push back on that before you know seven people send me an email that are all going to say this. His vision is, is the end game is to use these as tools of leverage to gain concessions from uh, entities, including other countries. Well, let me finish a second. Uh, including other countries that have been taking advantage of the U.S. and the U.S.'s consumers and taxpayers for far too long. That would be the answer that he would give, and he has given in the past. Um, and, and I, you know, we're in the midst of an open trade war right now with China, but they would point to what they got, uh, at least in terms of verbal, um, concessions from Mexico last week on the border. I don't have much optimism that they will follow through, but I hope I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. So I'll sit back and watch. Right. Um, but that would be their answer that they are tools of leverage to get better deals negotiated than what's, what's been subjected to the American people in the past. At what point do we know that that's actually working? What concessions are we trying to get? How will the uh, tariffs, how will these tariffs applied in this manner to these goods actually impact that? Those are all questions that uh, him and uh, what's the guy who hold, held up the can of soup on uh, on CNN or uh, Wilbur Ross. Yeah, Wilbur Ross. Yeah. Uh, those are questions really that they have not articulated. They've just said, well, this is going to, you know, this this can of soup is going to cost, you know, 0.00025%, you know, percent more or cents more. Uh, these are just, again, it, the beautiful thing when you're the piggy bank, I I don't. I don't buy that. I still call it fake. I call it fake news. All right. Todd, what do you think? Yeah, it, it's true news, even though in a very short soundbite, what he said is wrong. I mean, we don't have all the money in terms of China. We're deeply in debt to them. But what we do have is the markets So and, and the consumer uh, cash uh, that fuels those markets. Uh, so, so he's 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 telling you ex exactly what, Steve, uh, you referenced. This this is ultimately about, hey, hey you, you, you can't. You can't quit us, world, uh, you're, and you're going to choke on this, and you're going to realize this, and we've been soft in making you understand this, and, and, and once again, will it work? Don't know. Is it the right thing uh, to do? Maybe, maybe not, but the mountains of debt that we've had in the past isn't such a great thing uh, either, so it's clearly a different way, but it, he's not doing a Milton Friedman. This is not some great walk through the econ uh, or Adam Smith, the economic annals of history. This is leverage, pure and simple. All right. Speaking of that uh, so-called deal with Mexico, that's the next clip.
All right. Uh, so the president has declared a victory with the uh, tariff and Mexico. Uh, and we had some news this morning that apparently uh, the National Guard on Mexico's southern borders already stopped the beast train. There were a couple hundred migrants on it. They scattered. They arrested 25. Uh, it's not a big move, but it's a move in the right direction. It certainly is. And it's owing to the president's leadership, Secretary of State Pompeo and Vice President Pence. They really hammered out a great agreement with Mexico. So they hammered out a great agreement with Mexico. What do you think, Todd? Fake news or not? Uh, Is this like the emergency declaration? Is it like that? I mean, trust but verify. I mean, maybe. I don't even know all the particular. It might be good, but it all depends on putting flesh on the bone at the end of the day and enforcing something so i don't is this the equivalent of taking a hold and buy sell hold but how can i possibly really there's an emergency declaration about the border and it we saw where that goes we saw where transgenderism in the military went i can't i can't possibly know so i'm not really all worked up about the claims that one way or the other and the reason why is because we're going to get updates from the likes of our friend Daniel Horowitz yep. on what the numbers are mm-hmm. across the border yeah. in the next couple of months, and we'll get so our answer to that. Verify, sure. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'd love it if he's cracked the code on how to make Mexico yes. a serious country yep. for once, but I, I we'll wait and see what the numbers show. What I would urge the White House, though, because it's it's been clear that a lot of these things have been reactionary. You know, he originally was going to sign the budget deal last December, for example, and then Rush and a bunch of people whose opinions matter greatly to him said, no way, Jose, and um, he vetoes it, and we have a shutdown. And and then he never really secures any real substantive concessions to open the government back up other than he got to deliver a State of the Union speech. A lot of this, this that was reactionary. There was no, what, what is the end game? What, what's the next step if, if, if this happens or that happens? Similarly, the Mexican tariff thing, it was... A kind of a clever way, if it works, we'll see, to go on offense on an issue where he has not kept a lot of the promises that got him elected on this issue. And some of that's, and maybe even a lot of it's not his fault. He's, he, he is the president of an open borders party because they're both open borders parties. What happens if we get to the first couple of months of this and, and, and Mexico is, well, still Mexico? What, what's the next play? What happens then? Do they know the answer to that at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? And we don't know that they don't know, but it's been clear that a lot of these things have been in reaction to realities of situations. So when, when the reality, if, if, if let's not say when, because let's not root for it to fail, but if the reality of the situation is Mexico decides, uh, hey, we're still Mexico here, what'd you expect? 60 days from now, what's the next play then at that point? Do they have an answer to that question? I think that's something they need to be discussing internally right now. All right. Aaron, but fake news or not? It's total fake news. I mean, this is in, um, I, I, you know, as somebody who follows this on a day-to-day basis, I, I feel like we're in pee on me and tell me it's raining territory. We're, we're essential, essentially saying, hurrah, we made a country who, by virtue of the fact that we're getting African um, illegal aliens coming into our country, we hurrah, we got a country who can't even secure their border 
to promise to do their very, I think his words were this weekend, Mexico will do their very best to secure ours, and we're cheering that. I mean, I, I don't want this to fail, and I want to be wrong about this, but come on. You sound skeptical. <laughs> Just, did, did, I, did, did I make it clear enough? I cherish your deep, deep cynicism right now. It is, it is well, well dialed in. All right, we've got one more. Here it is. The reason why millennials are gearing towards Democrats is because Republicans aren't on the same field. For so long, it's not that, you know, Republicans are racist or sexist or don't like young people. Mm -hmm. They've just been absent. They have not been involved in pop culture. They have not been involved in the areas where young people are. It is that simple. And we saw that mold broken with who? Donald Trump, somebody who was from the pop culture, somebody that was already defined by the public. Exactly. So millennials flocking to Donald Trump. There's that's Katrina Pearson for those of you that don't remember her from the 2016 election, and still one of the oddest damn moments I have covered in my career was when she is the the Daily Point person on CNN and the cable news networks as Trump's senior campaign spokesman early in the primary process. So during Iowa, and at the same time she's on TV. The campaign she's representing is 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 claiming she's had adulterous affairs with Ted Cruz and planting these stories with uh, their proxies at the National Enquirer. It, that's just it's not quite the George and Kellyanne Conway peculiar, but it's real strange to be speaking for a campaign that's attempting to label you as the Scarlet Woman, um, the the homewrecker, at the same exact time, but. That's where we live nowadays. So uh, are millennials flocking to Trump because he's a pop icon? I actually went and looked at the numbers. Trump received 37% of the 18 to 29 youth vote. That's what it's called because some generations it's Gen X, some it's millennials. So they just go by age group. He got 37% of the youth vote in 2016. That is the exact same percentage that Mitt Romney received in 2012 of the 18 to 29 vote. They both received 37%. But uh, your thoughts as the, as the one millennial that's here in the studio, Aaron, what do you think? <laughs> Asked and answered. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was in preparation for this and I'm dead serious. I was trying to think through all of my millennial friends who I knew voted for Trump enthusiastically and still support him enthusiastically. Um, Maybe it's because I don't have very many friends, but I can't think of a single one. Now, what's interesting is Hillary got three points less of the youth vote than Obama did in 2012. And that's because... She's a terrible candidate. Yeah, 3% more of the youth vote just decided to not vote for president or voted for... Uh, alternative candidates because they didn't give that vote to to Trump based on yeah the, uh, what the numbers actually show. They're more likely to be at home cutting themselves than it, being inspired by Donald Trump. I mean, that was a very schizophrenic response. There's something to the first part that whatever conservatism in the GOP is has been out of these arenas. Sure. But and then after that, saying the antidote was Donald Trump. I mean, come on, come on. 
Hey, if you're like millions of Americans that are struggling with chronic pain and maybe you've just decided, you know what, I have to live with this. I got to miss time from work when it becomes, uh, you know, overwhelming. Uh, there, there may be relief on the way. Uh, it's called Relief Factor. And the, the two most important things to know about Relief Factor is that it's 100% drug-free, yet it was created by doctors. So uh, physicians who can prescribe drugs looking for long-term relief and healing, uh, unleashing the body's God-given natural healing ability. So they created this formula that has four key ingredients that help your body helps your body win the fight against inflammation because inflammation in the body is what's causing chronic pain. All right. So like if you're Kevin Durant going down to the NBA finals last night with an Achilles tear, relief factor isn't going to help you. That's an injury. Going to need surgery. Going to need rehab. But if you've got chronic pain from inflammation in the body, give relief factor a try. So many of us here at the blaze have had outstanding results with this product. I would now count myself among them as well. And now you can try it just for a dollar a day for three weeks, 20 bucks. It's called the starter kit. If you want to give it a shot, what have you got to lose? Except maybe finally, hopefully the pain. Just go to the website, relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. We're going to talk the intersection of faith and history and conservatism and popular culture when our number two comes at you in a moment, right here, live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back with our number two, live and on demand, but we're not really all that much in demand. Uh, here on The Blaze, it is the Steve Day Show. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number to The Blaze. You can also let you let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us, on, although Facebook, remember, doesn't like us. So we're shadow banned there. So you probably got to like us about 38 times before one of them actually will register. And you can also, for now, uh, until Jack has his way, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Going to be talking about uh, faith history here in just a moment, which means it's a great time to remind you about uh, the cruise that uh, Glenn Beck and several of the VIPs here at The Blaze are launching next spring. Uh, and it's it's really a cruise through history. You are going to sail the Eastern Mediterranean, visit Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, Israel, Athens, Greece. Really, this is about exploring the roots of Western civilization, which is what gave birth to this thing we like to call here on this side of the uh, hemisphere, American exceptionalism. And yeah, there's going to be plenty of fine dining fun as well. But this is a trip where you can have fun and learn something. You can walk where Christ and the apostles walked, go to Greece and and discover the origin of the Republic and democracy. Bring your kids, your grandkids. If you want to learn more about this uh, cruise through history next year, uh, you can go online to the website and get all the details on the different packages that are available. Okay. Here's the website. Comesailaway.com. All one word. ComeSailAway.com and learn more about what helped to inspire uh, our founders, our Constitution, and uh, much of what it is we as conservatives are attempting to conserve for this and future generations. ComeSailAway.com. 
Well, speaking about uh, the origins of what it is we are attempting to conserve for this and future generations, that is what uh, this book we're going to talk about uh, here uh, next on The Blaze is all about. It's called Unlikely Pilgrim, A Journey into History and Faith. Al Regnery is the author, and he has been a longtime uh, fixture uh, in the conservative movement going back many, many, many years. Not that we want to date Al. We are being respectful of uh, his professor emeritus status. That's how we're framing it. Good to have you on the show, Al. How are you? Very well. That's, that's very kind of you, Steve, and it's great to be with you. You know, we talk a lot on our show, Al, um, that, you know, there's to me, I, I see two existential debates happening in the culture today. There is, I really believe this, there really are two Americas right now. There's what I call the left America and the kind of the le- what's left of America. Uh, and so I think there's the existential debate between those two cultures. And then I think there's a debate happening within the what's left of America as well about, you know, what is it we're actually trying to conserve? What it, What is it, you know, wh- where did these ideas come from? How did we arrive at them? When you started out on your journey and on your travels, was it with the intent of discovering those roots or did it just kind of happen that way? It probably just sort of happened. The first trip, this is an account of 11 different trips that I took over 20 years, all to Eastern and Western Europe, the Middle East, the Balkans. And the first trip was to a place called Mount Athos in Greece, which is a peninsula in northeastern Greece. Um, the only buildings there are monasteries, um, uh, Orthodox monasteries, and they're the, the only people are monks. Women are not allowed. Um, it's historically an incredible place. Many of the monasteries date back to the 4th, 5th century. And, um, of course, it's one of the places where Christianity, um, in that case, the, the, among the Orthodox Church, really was, was born or at least was nurtured. Um, from that, we went one, I was with a, a friend of mine, an Englishman, and we went one trip after another. And after about the second or third one, it was apparent that what we were doing was looking to find the origins of Western civilization. And that's what we did. Your cruise, by the way, sounds terrific. I mean, we went to a lot of those places. Mm-hmm. And, of course... What we were doing, there wasn't a lot of fine dining and there weren't a lot of comfortable beds, but um, (laughs) in my opinion, that made it even more interesting. (laughs) When you say Western civilization, we use that term on our show quite a bit as well. Can you define it for our audience? What do you think it means? Particularly, you know, millennials like our producer, Aaron, who you spoke with before we went on the air that are, have largely um, been educated in a way that they are ignorant of a lot of these uh, words and terms and therefore are kind of falling for the canards like socialism that your previous generations, uh, you know, won the historical argument against those belief systems that new generations kind of want to fall for those canards all over again now. Right. Well, liberals hate the term because uh, Western civilization, as we know what it is, sort of defies what they believe. Um, What is Western civilization? Well, first of all, there's no question that a great deal of it stems from Christianity. Um, Christianity was the, the beginning of freedom, for example, of liberty. That's where it originated, and of course, that's one of the mainstays of Western civilization. But all of our culture, um, the literature, the art, the music, the architecture, all of the other things that we have in our society. If you go back to Rome, Greece, um, even to, to medieval and, and post-medieval England, that's where it originated. Russell Kirk in his, um, often talked about the four cities, mm-hmm. Rome. Athens, London, and Philadelphia as the four places where Western civilization as we know it in America really, um, really arose. And it's probably a pretty good way to define it. I mean, because so much came out of those four places um, where we went, where there were many smaller cities as well. There were two long um, trips to Greece and in some of the cities you've never heard of. 
um, as well as we were in Syria, we were in Turkey. Um, in Turkey, we went to the, the sites of the seven churches of Revelation. Those are the seven churches that John wrote letters to at the beginning of Revelation are recounted there. And again, as you go to those places, you just reinforce things that many of us as conservatives already know, that, um, that what, what Paul talked about, what John talked about in the Bible, as well as what the Greeks and the Romans did, um, is certainly the origins of what, what we believe and what our culture is. When you talk about going to a place like Turkey, and, uh, you know, right now the West is, in my view, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with this, the West right now is facing two existential threats. Um, capital P, leftist progressivism, I believe, is, is, is the internal existential threat that it faces. And Islamism is the external threat that it faces. First of all, do you agree with that? Or would you define it a different way? That's essentially right. I, you do have to distinguish Islamism from Islam. Um, I spent a lot of time in Turkey and in Syria. It was, it was a, a while ago. I mean, they, were, they were both before 9-11. And a great many Muslims that you meet are kind, generous people. They're raising their kids. They're making a living. Um, in fact, when I was in Turkey, I had a, there was a Turk that was a driver for us, um, a guy that had worked for the British Embassy before. I remember asking one day, what's the greatest threat that Turkey has? And he said, Islamism. He said, radical Islam. And that was in 2001, I guess, 2000, something mm -hmm. like that. So well before it had really established itself at all in Turkey. And Turkey was still, you know, it was part of NATO. It was, it was uh, um, parts of it were reasonably Western. The people were, um, had a lot of the same attitudes we did. And, um, of course, since then, um, Islamism has taken a foothold in Turkey. And it's a very different place. So, but yeah, I think, Steve, you're, you're essentially right. Those are the two big threats. Um, certainly, I've been fighting what has become progressivism since I was in college or before that a long mm -hmm. time ago. Um, as we all have, you know. So we've seen as it's grown over the years, and it's certainly gotten a lot worse over the last eight or ten years than it was before. The reason why I think it's important to note those is because, you know, the, the old George Santiana line, those who have not learned from history are doomed to repeat it. Right. And, you know, you mentioned going and visiting the, the sites of the seven churches that, uh, that uh, John wrote letters to at the beginning of the book of Revelation, the seven churches of what was known then as Asia Minor. Most right. Americans don't know that's modern-day Turkey. And so when right. you tell them that, they they would not be able to make the connection that a, a country that they kind of now see Irwin as sort of the Las Vegas of the Caliphate, if, if you know what I mean. He kind of has allowed uh, Islamism. He's their front. He like the like the Vegas Strip allowed the mob to go legit. Irwin seems to be allowing Islamism to kind of you know with a Brooks Brothers suit look a little bit more legit in Western eyes than it has in the past. I think it would blow most of, most of uh, the West, particularly Americans' minds, to think that. Um, one of the you know foundational enclaves of, of, of early Christianity was in Turkey, and then what happened to it? Because you know they didn't take a vote. Al, I mean, they didn't have like a referendum. You know, like, hey, do you want to be a Muslim country now? That you know, where did those Christian enclaves? Lebanon, up until the 20th century, was a, was was one of the oldest Christian enclaves on the planet. Where did all of these populations go? And I think we've lost that history, and so we're falling for some of the old canards again. Well, that's true. I mean, in Syria, for example, I was there in the summer before 9-11, 2001. Syria at that time was about 25% Christian. And the Christians and the Muslims got along. Um, it was not 
a free country like we know it, but it was a fine, easy place to travel. I was never threatened. I didn't feel threatened. I went wherever I wanted, talked to anybody on the street. Um, and it, that was only, what, less than 20 years ago. And, of course, you had 9-11 between. Since then, the Islamists have taken over. Of course, Syria's had this terrible civil war. But some of the Christian sites in Syria are phenomenal. I would, There were villages that I went to where they still speak Aramaic. The, the, the language mm. that Jesus Christ spoke. Mm -hmm. um, where there, there was a, we went into the oldest churches in in Christian, Christendom. It was a, the second century church, and it had been opened ever since. Um, it had been taken care of. I mean, there were a group of priests and women and others who uh, kept the place absolutely immaculate. Of course, ISIS came in, and in 45 minutes they blew it up mm. after we were there. And um, so it's happened. Really, I mean, in the in, in the 21st century, I would say a lot of it. Um, just to recount also, in Turkey, one of the places that I went to was Nicaea, where the Nicaean Creed was written. Mm -hmm. And um, still there, um, actually where, the, where, they, where the, 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 the council met, where they wrote the creed is now underwater. But I remember sitting on a rock wall, which was just overlooked where they had been, which was, it was just a bay. But you could just almost feel um, all of these Christian bishops and so on with Constantine there hammering out this creed that... Those of us who are Catholics, Episcopalians, say every time we go to church. And it's, I mean, I cannot say that creed again without thinking about sitting on that wall overlooking that place. I believe that was the council where uh, St. Nicholas uh, slugged the heretic. Uh, yeah. I believe that's where it took place. Um, that's, that, that's my second favorite Christmas story other than the original. Um, but when, when, here's, here, here, here's where I'm hoping you can draw some connect some dots for us in the present from the history that you've walked through and experienced. When I look at a country like Afghanistan, now it's not an Arab country, but or it's not a Middle Eastern country, but it is a Muslim country. All right. Right. And so I'm not making an argument that I want to state this disclaimer up front. I'm not making an argument that the Afghani people were better off with the Taliban in charge. I'm not going to, I'm not making that argument. What I am concerned about though is that we have become so ignorant of the of the cultures at stake here. We have bought so much into progressive moral relativism that when when after all of the blood, sweat, and treasure we have invested in that country since October of 2001, when the State Department says there are no Christian churches open in Afghanistan, and there was before we invaded. That to me is a failure of our own recognition of the of the beliefs and worldviews that have created this conflict in this part of the world that is that has migrated over to our shores in the first place. Can you speak to that a little bit, Al? Well, from my experience, I think you're you're right. I mean, it, it has happened relatively quickly. Certainly, the, the the left has been working on this for generations, and it's really just coming to the the fruits coming to 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 ripen now, I suppose. But and I've never been to Afghanistan. I mean, I've certainly read as much as anybody else about it in the in the paper and seen the news and so on. So I don't really know what's at stake there. I do think that when before we went into Afghanistan, we failed to really read the history very carefully mm -hmm. because people that know know a lot about it say that had we done that, we would have either not gone in or gone in very differently. I mean, the what what the British encountered when they were there, what the Russians encountered, and others that. Um, was devastating to them. To the Russians, were were pleased that it did. Um, and a big part of this, Steve, I also I think is the is the the role that communism played in um, in the East Bloc and in, in so the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. And I did go to four of those East Bloc countries: um, Albania, Romania, Poland, and Bulgaria. 
um, three of which were the most um, the most uh, severe dictatorships probably in the history of the world outside of North Korea. And you don't learn a lot about the way that you know everything that, that they as well as and I've been in the Soviet Union as well when it was a Soviet Union, what they did and what even what the parallels are between what is going on in progressivism now and what the communists were doing. Of course, the progressives are all going to deny that, but they're wrong. Is the notion that the Eastern European countries, because of what you just talked about, and there are living generations uh, where that all of those memories are still fresh and able to be passed on, is, is the notion that, that they are far more resistant to the spread of leftist progressivism uh, compared to the rest of the continent? Is that true? Certainly in Poland they are, and of course Poland was the most Christian and most Catholic um, country of all of those. Um, one very interesting thing I discovered, Steve, is that the more repressive those countries were, the, of the three that I that mentioned, aside from Poland, the more repressive they were, the more freedom and Christianity is coming back now. Mm. Bulgaria was the exception. Bulgaria was more of a Stalinist country. The other two were more sort of North Korean, if you will. And in Bulgaria, they're still pretty lackluster. The church is there, but it's nobody really cares about it because the, the communists infiltrated it and they made people think that it was a sort of a joke. In Albania, it was a totally atheistic country. I mean, the, the head of state had passed a law that said anybody who's not an atheist basically is going to prison for 15 years, and they did. Um, in that country, um, Christianity is coming, and Islam too. I mean, Islam is, is actually quite... Um, prevalent in Albania, but it's coming back with a vengeance, as it is in Romania. I mean, they're actually in Romania visited places where they're actually building new monasteries because there's so many people that want to go into monastic life, they can't house them. Um, it's, I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. It really is. It's so encouraging. That, and there as well, so not only from a religious standpoint, but from a liberty standpoint as well, yes, they're very vigilant about it. They know what they went through, and they don't want to do it again. Final two questions for you, Alan. Both of these are kind of big picture questions. Uh, number one, what, what, have, what, collectively in terms of what you experienced and learned through the course of your travels, what is the major overarching theme or themes that you think would blow majority of minds uh, here in the West in America compared to what we are? Um, uh, what the zeitgeist feeds us with political correctness, um, secularism, things of that nature. What would those theme? What would that theme or those themes be? Do you think? First is that Christianity played the most major role in who we are. I mean that everywhere you go, where you see these these churches that were built in the third century, the fifth century, the twelfth century, where they um, where the monasteries were, the number of people who were involved in it, the extent that. All of our culture emanated from the church, art, literature, architecture, all those things, which we still, um, we still appreciate today to a great extent, arose because of Christianity. I think that is probably the most overwhelming thing. And every one of those 11 countries that I went to, um, you could not come away without being convinced that that was true. Um, actually, from the, just from the travel standpoint, I cannot recommend strongly enough to people to go to a country where you don't really know very much about it, you don't know the language, you don't have an itinerary, um, you don't stay in fancy hotels, you don't talk to Amer other American tourists, but you get actually get in among the people, you stay in their places, you eat there in their dirty little restaurants or whatever they are, and you get to know their culture. Um, and actually, I can say somebody who's been active in Washington and politics and conservative things to get away for a week or two to those places is 
a very refreshing way to spend the time. Hmm. Final thing, what, what was the most impactful for you that you want to impart to the rest of us about what, his, what the history you walked through and learned says is at stake right now um, in our day and age? Well, certainly one of the things is the demise of faith. Um, faith is absolutely crucial to a free society. Mm. Um, one of the things that we all know is that when a dictator takes over, the first thing he's going to do is try to eradicate faith. I mean, it's, why, did, why did Caesar have Jesus Christ killed? I mean, here's a little skinny 33-year-old guy. was not any threat to him except for what he was talking about. So I guess, as you, you know, I mean, certainly the, the French, the Napoleon shut down the cathedrals. Stalin killed the priests and the nuns and the um, monks and so on. Hitler did the same thing. They tried to shut down the churches because of what people believed was a threat to their power. So maybe it's just the question of um, political power versus ideas, that ideas are um, the things that rule. But uh, So those combined, I guess, with our demise of faith, I think, in this country, in the West generally, is something that is um, very frightening and which... We hope it'll come back. It has before, and um, those of us who are involved, as I know you are, and the people that probably most of the people watching this show are convinced that that's what we have to do. I mean, you can really never stop doing what you can to make sure that those things prevail. Al Regnery, name of his book, uh, Unlikely Pilgrim, A Journey into History and Faith. He's been a fixture in the conservative movement for a long time, uh, publisher, uh, Reagan administration official, and... Um, uh, we'd be wise to listen to the perspective he offers as a long-term view about really what's at stake and what the future may hold uh, if we don't uh, learn those lessons of history. Al, it's been a pleasure having you with us today on The Blaze. God bless, man. Thanks for being a part of the show. I really enjoyed it very much. Thanks for thanks so much. You bet. So some reaction to what we just heard from Al Regnery. Todd, let me start with you. What did you think? Well, uh, I think for obvious reasons, uh, not having been uh, to the Holy Land or the Middle East myself, I mean, it's it, it's absolutely on my bucket list. But uh, the it, and in a way, as a younger man, it would have had more of a nostalgic aspect to it. I, there's almost none of that now. I I, I I want to be over there. I mean, he mentioned the feeling he had. Uh, about um, the being in the presence of the Council of Nicaea, but I, it, it's it's not a a nostalgic feeling that I'm looking for. I'm I'm looking for whatever punch in the face of reality is needed for for me to understand my faith more deeply, to understand a culture more deeply, to understand the truth more deeply. I, I'd be fascinated what I really come away with because I think we have a. Uh, we we want to tell ourselves. There's a st great story once, if I about uh, a, a, a Iron Man and a, this person, and it happens all the time. They think they're going to be transformed like such a big feat, and like it, it and they realize that like they, things will be conquered, and they realize the depressions they had are even greater before that because it didn't heal everything, mm -hmm. and they still have those things. I, I that's how I think about this. If if it would um, even my sense of whatever I think reality is would only become more sharpened hardened perhaps even a little cynical uh i i think you know the truth doesn't always give you what you think you want and um as a as a pilgrim i mean you you go over there and it it, it, it has nothing to do with tourism it has to be, do with the greatest story ever told and that has as many peaks as it does valleys
Aaron, what about you? Um, yeah, it's one of those things, though, you you really don't know until, I, I, I would guess, until you actually go over there and experience it, uh, experience it for yourself. Going back to some of the broader themes of uh, Western civilization and and what uh, you know, generation, my generation, previous generations um, have uh, not been taught or not sought out and learned for themselves. Whoever whoever controls really the history books, what's in the history books, usually controls um, generations. Usually controls. Uh, a country usually controls uh, whatever movement uh, that they are about, and that's what the Marxists really in this country have done uh, for the last again the long march. Antonio Gramsci, the long march through the institutions, they got a hold of uh, of academia and at all levels. And what we just talked about, or what you guys just talked about for the last oh, almost twenty minutes. It's not being taught anywhere whatsoever uh, because they control what's in the history books. They really do. So almost everything that you've talked about, as much as I would like for it to be relevant and helpful um, right now at this moment in time, it is not because it's not being taught. It hasn't been taught. And most people, uh, most people, especially in my generation, just don't really just don't really care uh, to some degree. And I know that sounds that is depressing, and that that does sound uh, bad. Uh, but until we're able to take back some of the ground that we've ceded to leftists uh, over the last couple of decades, that's that's not going to change. No, I mean, if you don't have an appreciation for your history, you're probably not going to be much for uh, traditionalism. You're probably not going to be a conservative because you're not interested in conserving those things. You know, I mean, if we were, if 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 we had, if, if you and I were born in the 1970s in the Soviet Union. Would we be radicals or conservatives? We'd be radicals. Are you interested in conserving Lenin? Are you interested in conserving no. Leningrad? You're talking about the context of words. Yeah. yeah Are yeah. you interested in conserving right. Stalingrad? Right. Are you interested in conserving, I mean, even go back further than that. Most of the czars sucked and were clowns and or despots slash terrible people who gave, who, who essentially gave the opening for an even worse menace to arise, right? Mm -hmm. Are you interested in preserving any of that? See, that's the difference, too, between conservatism and nationalism. Nationalism would say, yeah, I mean, it's the fatherland, it's the motherland. Well, this land sucks, you know? I don't want to, you know? We put people in jail for believing in God. This land blows chunks. I'm not interested in, I'm not bowing to that. I'm not celebrating that. That's idolatry. So, you know, I'm a conservative because I, because I was born into this country. And born into its history, which is far from perfect, which is why we don't have, we, I don't feel a need for our show to ever try to put lipstick on a pig. When America's been wrong, it's been wrong. But the greatest, here's the greatest thing I can say about America, is that we were given a system and a set of values and institutions that gave us the ability to correct our own generational mistakes. We are not immune to generational mistakes like every other people, every other civilization, every other culture. What has made ours unique is, is, is the ability to self-correct them if the will is there. That's why I've always said we are not a nation of laws and never have been. We are a nation of political will and always will be. Do we have the will? Do we? 
if we have the will, we wouldn't have lost and ceded most of the ground to the leftists that we have. Yeah, if you have to ask that question, it's probably correct. No. Correct. You want to know why they keep coming after you know the Baker Jack out in Jack Colorado? Phillips. Jack Phillips. Thank you. Um, they don't. They. Why does a fly buzz around? Why does a mosquito buzz around your porch light? It's weird. It's peculiar. Someone who hits back, they're not used to it. Someone who just refuses to go along, refuses to comply, they're not sure what to do with it. They, so they can't help but be attracted to it. They can't help but be stamped out by it. I said at the top of the show, be more like Lila Rose in live action than even something as innocuous as Pinterest is threatened by the amount of truth, the sort of truth they're wielding over there. That's, that's the point of political will. And, the, and, and what's happened is the left America has, if this was a seesaw, they'd be way up here in terms of political will. And you know, we wouldn't be at the ground, but we'd be at least able to put our feet, get our, hit, hit our toes to touch if we could. And we have just been bullied over and over and over again. So it's about will. And... You know, I, to me, our, I'm a conservative because I appreciate that history. I, I, I know it's not perfect, but in terms of a human devised institution, this country, for all of its mistakes, in the last three, 250 years, has been the greatest force for good east of Eden on this planet. And that continues to still be the case. And so it's worthy of conserving. Doesn't mean I always agree. Doesn't mean it's perfect. But it is worthy of of conserving its best parts. That's why we're conservatives. And I think a lot of people that call themselves conservatives today have no appreciation whatsoever for the things that Al Regnery just talked about. They just think leftism goes too far and it's too, and it's icky. And while I appreciate their opposition to leftism, they have no chance to defeat it. You're not going to defeat a grand idea or a bold idea with icky that goes too far you know what you need to defeat a bold idea and a grand idea a better bold idea and a better grand idea you need a better story than the one that's being marketed and offered right right now and that's what we just talked to al regnery about this is the better story and history proved it to be the better story because it won and now the question is, do we have the will in our day and age to preserve that win? Or will we be the generation that Reagan used to warn about that one day we'll have to say to its sons and daughters, hey, here's what, a, here's what things were like in America when people were free. That's really the question before us right now, historically. We'll come back. It's Pop Culture Tuesday, live and on demand on The Blaze. Next, stay tuned. You've been putting it off because, you know, you don't want to waste time on your day off sitting in a doctor's office, the wait, the copay, the hassle. Maybe they send you over to get a script as well, which means another wait, another copay, another hassle. And then it gets worser and worser. And I know that's not a word, but I'm using it now for effect. Uh, it gets increasingly worser until finally you got to bite the bullet. Hey, you know what? You don't have to anymore. 
That's where WaxRx comes into play. You can DIY this just like the pros do, but now in the comfort and convenience of your own home and without a prescription as well. WaxRx um, is a physician-developed technology that uses uh, that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then uses uh, that soothing pH condition formula to make everything feel right as rain. If it sounds like, hey, that's what they do when I go to the doctor's office, you're right, but now you get to do it yourself without that copay without that hassle, without that weight, and without a prescription. You can also try it risk-free today. If you just go to the website, usewaxrx.com, all one word. Use waxrx and then the .com. If you use the offer code at radio, offer code radio at checkout, they'll give you free shipping as well. So you save time and money on the front end. You save some money as well on the back end too with the free shipping. When you use offer code radio at checkout at usewaxrx.com. Before we turn the page to Pop Culture Tuesday, just a little quick fake news or not note. Uh, I was just uh, perusing some uh, headlines during the break. And NBC has announced who's going to be their moderators for the uh, Democratic presidential primary debates. Oh, moderators? Yes. I, they keep using that word. I don't think they know what it means. Right. Uh, I, I think what they really, table setters, I think that's, would that be more appropriate? Like if, you know what? Let's have fun with that for a second. Batting practice pitchers? Progressivators. If if it said if if and Lester Holt's one of them, right? So if if it said when you tuned it in, if it said Lester Holt, NBC News table setter, wouldn't you just totally respect that? Seriously, yeah. I mean, just you know what? Hate the game, not the player. Thug to thug, gangster to gangster, general. Like you know, like like Patton used to respect Rommel and back, you know, to a certain extent. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't you be kind of like props, no. respect? I see where you're coming from, but no. No? You can't get there? All right. Well, uh, they are, they're letting, in a way, they're kind of doing that with who one of their moderators are. Or How many are there? There's like a handful. I think there's four or five. And <laughs> okay. one of them is five. Rachel Maddow. And so, so, you know, it, it's, it's a bunch of people that represent the news division. Right? The Babylon Bee has a story today. CNN launches... Yeah. Uh, straight news. Um, real news. Real news. Yeah. Uh, um, off branch yeah. of the regular channel. <laughs> All right. So you have the you have the the straight and you know notice the air quotes which you can't notice if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, but uh, there's the straight news people and they're with Rachel Maddow. So what that essentially tells you. Well, Steve um, Hugh Hewitt asked some questions in the last GOP cycle. Um, I know Hugh Hewitt. I used to work with him at Salem. Other than the fact that he's an Ohio State guy, and we all have our we all have our unfortunate crosses to bear, um, he couldn't have been nicer and kinder to me. And Hugh is a conservative, but he is not nearly the ideologically. In a way, it, it's almost perfect that the that when the Republicans have their debate, they get this fairly benign, genteel. Uh, you know, personality and Hugh Hewitt who gets along with virtually everybody. Okay. And that's, that's, that's their tip of the cap to conservative media, right? Is they go get a guy who is really just swell in Hugh, you know? And when the, and when the Democrats do their, we got a K to our base, they go get a hardened. If that's if that's not the if that's not a metaphor metaphor alert 
If that's not a metaphor alert, I don't know what is. So See, you've got all these people pretending to be straight news on the panel during yeah. the Democratic debates with Rachel Maddow, who in recent years has essentially become the Democrats' Alex Jones. Aaron. Why didn't they try to get like Anna Navarro or Jennifer Rubin as the Republican or you know conservative? No, that'd have been uh, clever. Questioner. Yeah, that'd have been clever. They could have upped their game a little I'm, bit. I'm waiting for Rachel Maddow to go to to scream about making the friggin' frog straight. Yeah. Has she not really just become the Alex Jones of the left? Just a I, complete and total conspiracist. She's like totally irrelevant to me i don't even know what she's doing see, I, I people see, aren't I, even watching her I, right you know now. you're right you're right and it was like a year and a half ago she had the number one show yeah she'd actually soared to number one and then she has devolved into this conspiracyist conspiracist nonsense and her ratings have plummeted i see it in my feet all the time because I, I still try to follow some of the people on the other side and um i i even see plenty of people on the other side ridiculing her somebody did it recently i, I want to say it was huffington post or somebody on the left wrote a column recently trashing her as a joke, you know, that she, you know, she just sits around doing connect the dots, Deutsche Bank, Trump conspiracy theory, television every night. And, you know, she's no longer the devoted leftist uh, radical that they used to love. You know, she's the Alex Jones of the left, basically, is what they were saying. No matter what the politics are, you don't need four or five they're t- they're telling you right there that they're not serious about this this is more about them than it is about the candidates you oh two hmm. you just you just need two you need to you need somebody to dial in on the questions ask them while the other person is prepping and then you flip-flop and you keep going back and forth that's all that's required for any serious news organization to do this maybe hmm. they thought that they needed more moderators because there's 24 people or however many people there, you know debating each other you know, it only makes sense. Just more moderators, more voices, more confused. Yeah. Well, think about it, though. You got to have get. There's got to be somebody white, somebody black, somebody gay, right? Is that checking the boxes? Yeah. Maybe that's really what you're, you got to have intersectional intersectionality monitors, yep. uh, or moderators for the intersectionality Olympics, don't you? Hate the game, not the player, Todd. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't bust out to the laugh Olympics over there, the the the, the woke Olympics with, you know. Uh, a bunch of straight old white guys you gotta have you gotta check the boxes don't you think Todd you know how this works you're the one that's worked in a newsroom more recently than I have yeah I know how it works and (laughs) my twitches are (laughs) and I'm still getting therapy as a result of that knowledge you had that kind of look like I got an appointment at three o'clock um Let's get to it. Pop Culture Tuesday, when we look at the intersection between popular culture and conservatism each week here on the Steve Day Show. And last week, we we took a look at uh, top five examples of dumb from, from Pride Month. And Aaron, you also had uh, a clip uh, from one of these gals on The View, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, from one of these gals on The View uh, claiming she's Catholic while oh, yeah. denying... Yeah every form of Catholic orthodoxy uh, and, and then saying her, she belongs to a church that she's, she's ashamed of its beliefs, but she's proud to belong to a church where she doesn't feel like her children are safe going uh, there as, as safe as they would be uh, at a, at a pride parade. Do I pretty much have that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, That prompted a question from one of our, uh, from one of our listeners named Rodney. And Rodney says, how is the sexualization of young kids, especially young boys, at these pride parades any different in concept? 
than what has been found out to have been going on with, uh, within Catholic and Protestant churches. Uh, I guess I read today Matt Chandler's church in Texas has an issue. Did you see this, Aaron? No, I did not. Where they had a youth minister back in, uh, who had been molesting underage girl, an, an underage girl. And now the family is saying that uh, the church didn't handle it as forthrightly as they had hoped, and they're talking to the media about it. But um, go on with Rodney's email. The churches have allegations of molestation, yes, but both are grooming children to a certain lifestyle and for sexual pleasure or amusement. My question is rhetorical. It's all morally reprehensible, but my main point is our culture seems to be repulsed by one and not the other. Am I stretching? I get the connection you're trying to make, Rodney, but I wanted to entertain this question because since the view went there, we're likely going to get this talking point. You know, this will become the new don't you want to stone gaze talking point and why do you hate women, right? And judge not, lest ye be judged, right? And all the other fallacies we've been debating for several years. Here's the difference between the two situations and why they're not analogous, okay? The expressed written intent of the rainbow jihad is the sexualization of the children. Its intent is to do this. It's it's its mission. Um, if if you're if if you're part of a movement, and, and you can't separate the rainbow jihad from the death cult, they're one and the same. They're peas in a pod, bosom buddies. So if you believe in killing the next generation when they, you just can't be bothered by having them around, and or you are promoting relationships that don't produce offspring. You're going to have a real difficult time replicating yourself. You're going to have a harder time passing on who you are when you are eliminating your legacy before it's born and or, and or promoting relationships that don't produce legacies. So you have to find a substitute. Where are you going to get the next generation of your adherents. Where will, 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 where will your legacy be found? You're going to have to groom them. You're going to have to brainwash them. You have to create a facsimile. You have to create a counterfeit. And so, with every letter of the alphabet that gets added, the expressed written goal is indeed the sexualization of children. That's the goal. That's the mission. You're right to point out the hypocrisy, Rodney, but I think you have it backwards. See, when, when, when those same people criticize sexual abuse in the church, they're not really condemning the church, in my view. When we point it out in this show, we are condemning the church. Because we are pointing out that that is not the stated mission of the church. Defending the innocent, protecting those being led away to slaughter. Love knows no greater love man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Bearing one another's burdens. Picking up your cross. A willingness to suffer. Those are the hallmarks of the values and principles the church is to transcendently stand for. Abusing a lesser in any context whatsoever is beyond ingrate behavior for the church. 
Because the church serves the suffering servant. The Son of Man came not not to be served, but to serve others. Washing the feet, the dirty, stanky feet of his disciples. Lowering himself into human form to come to earth, to, to tire as we do, to have to relieve his bowels as we must, to be hungry as we are, to sweat and stink and have B.O. as we do. The most powerful being in the universe lowered himself to do all of those things on our behalf. To be with us. Who are the us? We're the lesser. He's God. We're sinners. Taking advantage of the lesser is one of the most ingrate behaviors the church can do. It is, it is the anathema of its mission and the Lord it serves who took on the burdens and identity of the lesser to give them life and life abundantly, to give them eternal life. So when we condemn the church for permitting and allowing sexual abuse, we on, we on this show are, are condemning it from that vantage point, that, that you are acting in repudiation of your mission. You are the salt that has lost its savor, and it is no good to anybody except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are what Jesus warned John in, in Revelation. He would come to you and take away your lampstand because you have departed so far from the light that you were given. When the leftists condemn the church for permitting the sexualization and victimization of children, I don't believe, they believe they're condemning the church. I believe they are condemning themselves. For why do they oppose it? Why are they offended at the sexualization of the children? I mean, I don't know. Isn't this the priesthood they've been waiting for, Steve? Indeed. I mean, at least with a priest, it can be safe, legal, and rare. Those videos, you've got a young man wearing basically a, a youth diaper and nothing else, twerking with just any old perv off the street. Why is that not offensive? That doesn't make any sense. The hypocrisy is actually on, the others, on their side of the issue. Why are you offended? The only reason you would be offended at the sexualization of children that the church has permitted through abuse the only reason without being a complete and total hypocrite contradicting your own stated belief system, the only reason that you would truly be offended at that is if your conscience betrays you and you fulfill Paul's words that unbelievers are a law unto themselves. So no one is without excuse because somewhere you know, somewhere you know that the church is supposed to be better than that. The church does stand when it's, takes the right stand for things that are righteous, for things that protect the innocent, for things that redeem and save. You're admitting that. Just as when someone says to you, when a pagan says to you, I thought a Christian wasn't supposed to behave that way. I've said to many a pagan, if you have such high regard for the beliefs and behaviors of Christianity then uh, th- that you believe are better than your beliefs and behavior, Why, therefore, are you not a Christian then? Why, by your own admission, do you cling to and hold on to inferior beliefs and behaviors? 
Why do you embrace the suck? If Christianity has loftier, better ideals than the ones you're living, why are you living crappier ones then by your own admission? See, they believe they are condemning us. They're really condemning themselves. Because the only way that what the church is doing when it has permitted this abuse to go on, the only way that what it is doing is wrong is if we all acknowledge that what the church really stands for, what, what the church really stands for, when it's really taking a stand, is what's really right. Thoughts on that, Todd? Well, this is, from a point of argumentation, it, it, it's, it's why it's really important to be patient and to let the argument, air quotes, of the other side be let out in all its glory so it can defeat itself. Uh, you will assist that, uh, to be sure. You have to be on the ready. But you really, really let, need to let them go on. And you need, and it, it's frustrating and it's hard and it's, it gets more and more grotesque. But th they are their own uh, worst enemies, uh, ultimately, in terms of the reason and science game. Uh, let them, let them help you out because they will. Hey, um, before we get out of here, I want to let you know, if you are like many Americans struggling to get, uh, the, the fruits and vegetables back in your lifestyle that are missing from most American diets today, which is one of the reasons why we're taking so many supplements. I want to let you know about a great product. Uh, I use it at my house called field of greens. Uh, being healthier is as simple as putting one scoop in any water-based drink, stirring it up and you're done. And this isn't some fly by night supplement or laboratory-created vitamin that kills your kidneys. Uh, Field of Greens is made up of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables, which means they come with, that's why it says nutrition facts on the label, not supplement facts. So it comes with the antioxidants, the prebiotics, the probiotics missing from so many of our convenience-driven lifestyles today. If you want to give this product a shot, you can do so right now and use my name, Steve, as a promo code to get 15% off of your first order when you go to the website. It's called Field of Greens at BrickHouseSteve.com. That's BrickHouseSteve.com. We are um, just about out of time. Uh, for those of you that are Blaze TV subscribers, we're going to talk about Justin Amash's separation uh, from the House Freedom Caucus uh, in the overtime. That'll be coming your way later today here at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. And that's where you can go now if you want to become a subscriber so you don't miss anything any of us do here at Blaze TV. Until tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.